0: My name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for coming. Our theme for this year is going deeper in our connection with God and wider in our influence. And we're in a series of messages where we're talking about how. What are the actual things that we need to do to to take our lives deeper and wider? We're talking about seven spiritual life habits, seven practices that are essential to keep in mind, but not just that. Look, there's got to be more than good intentions. So if you're going to do this with your life, or if you're going to allow God to move in your life in this way, you've got to have the right kind of practices in mind, but you've also got to have some practical routines for the working out of those practices, of those habits. We've called it a game plan. You've got to have the right game plan. Last week or two weeks ago, we talked about using our resources with wisdom and purpose, not letting our resources use us, and not being overrun by our, the stuff we have to take care of and our schedules. We're using those with wisdom and purpose. Today, we're going to talk about an absolutely critical spiritual practice, spiritual habit, a life habit, if you're going to allow your life to be taken deeper and wider, and it's Practice creative devotion. We're going to say that together. I know that's obnoxious. We're going to do it anyway on three. One, two, three, practice creative devotion. And to make sure we get it, we're going to say it again, but this time they said it even more energetically. One, two, three, practice creative devotion. Now, to set us up for that, to kind of tee off this discussion, we've got a great reading from a devotional work in the book of the Psalms. It's a great song that David sang that actually gives us some practical handles. Dominic Callens is going to read that for us this morning. It is Psalm 63. And let's go old school this morning. Would you stand with me out of reverence for God's word as we hear Dominic read Psalm 63?
1: Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed For the mouths of liars will be stopped.
0: Father, thank you so much. We come this morning with a variety of needs and joys. We've got physical needs, we've got relational needs, emotional needs, financial needs. We've got joys, great things that have happened. We're all in different spaces, God, and you know each one of us and exactly what space we're in, and how we need to be spoken to. And we ask you in the name of Jesus this morning that you would speak, that you would break open our chests and massage your truth into us, provide us this morning with, if it's instruction that you would instruct, if it's inspiration that you would inspire, if it's a reminder that you would remind. We make ourselves available to you this morning, bringing all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin this morning with three propositions. I'm not going to prove these. We'll do that another time. It'll take much longer. But I just want to give us, so we know the starting point. So we know square one. Proposition number one. The degree to which my life goes deeper, meaning that I experience deeper, richer sense of joy, a deeper sense of purpose and meaning, more of what Jesus calls the abundant life, The degree to which I experience that depends almost entirely on the strength of my relationship with God. Proposition number two, the degree to which my impact spreads wider in a healthy way, meaning that I exercise more positive influence on others, that my life makes a real difference, not shallow popularity or fame, but real impact. The degree to which that grows depends largely on the strength of my relationship with God. Now, I also learn things about myself. I I, I gain experience. I'll I'll read a great book or inspiring book. I go to a leadership conference. Those things help. But my life, the impact of my life going wider, that depends largely on the strength of my relationship with God. Third proposition. I cannot build a healthy relationship with God without the right game plan. And that plan must include an understanding of the right habits and a roadmap for practicing those habits. So I cannot build a healthy relationship with God, without growing in two critically important life habits. First, I must grow in my understanding of an exercise of using my resources with wisdom and purpose. Secondly, I must grow in my understanding of an exercise of a creative devotional life. All right, so to give some inspiration this morning toward a more robust devotional life, I want to talk about five principles. I'll do them quickly. That are related to a personal devotional life that spill out of Psalm 63. And I pray that we will remember these and take these with us. Number one, personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. Oh God, you are my God, the psalmist begins. Earnestly I seek you. Among the pantheon of available gods, I seek you. Jesus said it like this. The first and greatest commandment is to love god i have a young friend who had a very serious health scare over the last couple of weeks he takes you to a group of friends and he said hey i'm scared here's what's happening i've been crying out to god please pray with me now jesus would say i'm so sorry that you're experiencing this trauma but remember you're actually in a good place right now you've been reminded how desperately in need you are, and that's good. There are those who get to a very desperate spot and they reach out for something that will help them deny or distract. I understand that. I've done that many times. The miracle is that we don't do that all the time. That's the normal thing to do. But there are those who are examples, those of you who are examples of that miracle. You recognize your need for God and you lean into that. Personal devotion requires that recognition. I want to offer a quick word, by the way. This is just a parenthesis. A quick word to those of you who believe that you're atheists. I don't believe there's such a thing as an atheist. I know that's arrogant, but not in the fullest sense. There are those, of course, who don't believe that there's an all-powerful personal force at the center of being. But... There's not anyone who doesn't worship something. Personal devotional life in the Christian sense requires that we recognize our need for God. That means we will give our devotion to him. Personal devotional life requires that we recognize our need for God. Point number two, personal devotional life requires that we recognize our need for God. Now I promise you that the, all five are not going to be this one phrase just emphasizing a different word. But this is an important one, I think. we got to dial in on this. My soul thirsts for you, says the psalmist. My my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. What a rich image that is. And let's remember that ancient Near Easterners understood hunger and thirst in a way that few of us ever understand it. David is speaking out of a life of actual experiences where his thirst was life-threatening. In fact, he's in the desert as he writes this psalm. Jesus put it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you're in a good place. You're blessed if you recognize how desperately you need God. Even though for some of us this comes most acutely when we're in in crisis. This puts us in a good place. I want you to look at verse 3 in the psalm. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you Paul said essentially the same thing in Acts 20, 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, but if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Let's state the obvious. Life with God was not casual for the psalmist David or for Paul. And it will not be for us if we're going to practice a real devotional life. One commentary I read on this psalm described it well. I thought, quote, The longing of these verses is not the groping of a stranger feeling his way towards God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost a lover, to be in touch with the one she holds dear. Some of us think our religious life is like a nice add-on. It's like a great addition to an otherwise groovy suburban life. In fact, that's a perfectly normal way of approaching a connection to God. In general, we have very good lives. We should be mostly satisfied with our groovy suburban circumstances. If Jordan and if my other kids were listening, they would be saying, Dad, please quit using the word groovy. If we could just find the right add-ons, our lives would be pleasant indeed, most of the time. And by the way, religion is a great add-on. You know, it's warm and you occasionally get fired and you meet nice people. But that kind of which is far too casual for someone who is personally devoted to Jesus Christ. It's completely normal, but it's not the approach of personal devotion. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God, that we see it. I want you to see this video. Many of you are going to remember this. This is from the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. He's playing a FedEx executive. So... They had a plane crash, and he's on this island, and he's the only one that survived. You'll remember. And he wants to get back home. You know what he recognizes? I can talk because there's no dialogue in the whole movie, except, well, son, he recognizes that there's one thing even more important than his need to get back home. He's got to find something to drink, or he's going to die. He desperately needs something to drink. And he sees a bunch of coconuts and he knows on the inside there's water. So he tries everything. This is the creative part. This is what you do when you're hungry. You don't open up the Bible and go, wow, that was really boring, which the Bible sometimes is. You don't open it up and go, wow, that was really boring. I'll see you in four and a half weeks not if you're thirsty that's not what you do he tries and tries and tries that's the creative part that's you and me doing whatever we must because we recognize that we desperately need God I love this so he's found something that will work Watch this. This is what often happens in my devotional life. Oh, I already missed it, didn't I? When he broke open the coconut and it all spilled out. That's often what happens with me. But he doesn't quit until this happens. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. Third, personal devotion requires active commitment. You've got to be in. You've got to say yes with mind, heart, and will. Earnestly I seek you, David says. This word earnestly translates the Hebrew word "shaher." In its most simple verbal form, this word means early or at dawn or very first thing. In its more intensive form, as it's used here in our passage, it usually means to be intent on. So can you see the thrust of this word? It means something like to seek first thing as a first importance and with a deep commitment. This is why the older translations would sometimes render this phrase early in the morning, I seek you, or early I seek you. But I believe our translation is better rendering it earnestly, I seek you. I'm in God, you're first, I seek you above and before anything else. That's what the psalmist is saying. And that's why the saints throughout the ages have been serious, the ones who've been serious about their devotion to God, have given God the first spot on their schedule every day. First thing in the morning, every day. This is a centuries-old Christian practice. And why? Because personal devotion requires active commitment. In fact, sometimes our seeking activity requires not just commitment, but aggressiveness. Look down at verse 8. My soul clings to you, the psalmist says. In older translations, often render this illegitimately. I love this. My soul follows hard after you. I'm aggressive about this, God, because I need you and I'm all in. Look, sometimes a relationship commitment is really easy. When I first met my wife, Diane, Diane was cute and sexy, I chose her over sleeping and eating, and those were the two highest commitments in my life at that time. And it was easy to make that choice. It's easy to be committed when the commitment is easy, but sometimes relationship commitment is difficult. Sometimes the choice is harder. It's the same with God, He's a relationship. When it's easy, when I feel close to God, or when I'm in need, I have to be committed. I have to choose Him. And when I feel distant, or when life gets overwhelmingly busy and just difficult, well, then I have to be aggressive about choosing Him. Hey, it's completely normal to loosen your grip on a relationship with God when we get stretched emotionally and physically. It's completely normal to let go of trying to walk with God every day when things just get overwhelming. That's normal. The incredible miracle is in those moments of clinging to God, earnestly seeking Him through the busiest, through the hardest, and through the worst. That's the abnormal thing, but that's what devotion looks like. Some of you know that we lost a great friend and an elder at Gateway last year. Tombolino. Tombolino's body was increasingly racked by cancer over the course of a few months. He was afraid and he struggled with doubt. He didn't want to leave his wife, Becky, or his children. He didn't believe his work was finished, and he honestly wondered about purpose and even about eternity. Tom was stretched as thin as possible emotionally and spiritually. But Tom followed hard after God. He clung to God through the questions, through the doubt even. He earnestly sought God, and I was privileged to watch it. That's what devotion looks like. In fact, increasingly, Tom's commitment to Jesus Christ became his main sustenance, and it was his supreme commitment. Personal devotion requires active, sometimes aggressive commitment. You may be going through something hard right now. You need to know, it's completely normal to cave. The miraculous thing is to cling, and you can do it. You can do it, and you'll be better for it. Fourth, personal devotion requires spiritual practices. It's more than just an idea. It's more than a feeling. Personal devotion requires spiritual practices. This is one of the reasons we're reading the New Testament together here at Gateway, and I hope you have joined us. If you're new to Gateway or if you have not joined us, there are devotional guides that give you a scripture reading for each day, and then it gives you a gospel reading from one of the biographies of Jesus, and then another reading, and then a verse from the Psalms, and it goes really short reflection on each of those. It's very, very manageable, and we're doing that this year as a spiritual practice together. Remember, the habit is to practice creative devotion. So we need some practical routines. And and we may need to try some different things to get there. That's the creative part of the habit. It has to be more than good intention. Again, first of all, we need a game plan. And then we need actual habits that will help us implement our game plan. And David gives us some of those in this psalm. Listen to this. Verse 2. He reflects on two things really important spiritual routines. Verse 2, he says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. First of all, there is the discipline of remembering times in God's presence. I remember that time last year. I remember the time six years ago. It was amazing when you provided, when you were there, I sensed your presence. I remember Secondly, this verse reflects times in God's presence and corporate worship. That's what he means by sanctuary. Times when we gather together. I remember that service I went to and I was knocked out. God, thank you. I remember you. You're faithful. Now, look, I know David isn't outlining spiritual practices here. He's speaking poetically and devotionally. But in that poetry, we see reflected actual routines of David that kept his life grounded in God. We see here a reflection of actual devotional practices. Again, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Obviously, David was familiar with praising the Lord as a devotional practice. In fact, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you know David was very familiar with this practice. That practice is amplified in verse 4, isn't it? He says, "I'll bless you." So, one of the things I do when I praise you is I just tell you how great you are. I just bless you're awesome. He amplifies it further in verse 5. He says he he praises God with joy. So we have the habit of remembering times in God's presence. We have the habit of gathering gathering with other faithful followers in corporate worship. We have the habit of praising God, blessing him, and doing it with joy. Verse 6a adds another one, reflecting on God. He says this, when I remember you upon my bed. Obviously, the psalmist had times of actively turning his mind to God, probably early in the morning or late at night. And then verse 6b adds another one. It says, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He turns his thoughts about God over and over again. And and this is a profound practice that he mentions here. The watches of the night says, you know, throughout the night, there were watchmen along the wall and around the palaces of David. And, And at times of turnover, one watchman would come to another, they would trade places, one would go back to go to sleep, and one would say to the other, all is well. They would salute one another and then a the new watch would begin and, and those watches would wake David up throughout the night and David would not go over his to-do list. He would meditate on God. Thank you, God. You're as faithful to me as the watches of the night. Finally, in 7b, he adds one more. He says, You've in my help and the shadow of your wing. I will sing for joy. He adds singing for joy to the list. Again, the psalmist didn't write this as a technical list of things he does to stay in relationship with God. I realize that. This is just an outpouring of his heart. But that makes it even more powerful to me. The the practice of devoting ourselves to God, the habit of being in a relationship with God, must take on practical, regular routines. Good intention is not enough. Now, David's list is, of course, not exhaustive. It's, It's a suggestive one. The idea is for you to build your own list. Personal devotion requires that we practice creative devotion. It requires that we find ways to, as Paul put it, never let your zeal for the Lord be lacking. Finally, personal devotion results in belief and hope that transcends circumstances. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 11. I want you to hear this and I'm going to ask Diane and Susan to come up if they would. Verses 9 through 11, I want you to know, David, he's in one of the worst possible circumstances. If you know the story of David, this is the time when his son Absalom, his son Absalom, has started a civil war, and he's trying to take over the kingdom. And David has been run out of Jerusalem, and he's out in the desert, hiding with a few special friends and old soldiers. And in the midst of that, David says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. I'm going to be protected because I've remembered, oh, you protected me before. I know you're going to do it again. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals because I've seen that happen to my enemies before. That's the kind of God you are who provides for me. But the king shall rejoice in God. It's going to go well for me, and I'm going to rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. They're lying about him right now, but those lies are going to be stopped. And David comes to that perspective because he has spent time in God's presence. So what I've done is I have asked two incredibly godly women who always get this right if you have any questions about anything anything spiritual anything about the bible any problem in your life ask diane or susan and they can they can answer it for you they've got it it's always it's right there they're waiting they may know the question before you even ask it so susan we'll start with you so personal devotional life you said an interesting thing to me last night so how does it go for you in in this practice, in this discipline.
2: This has always been a a struggle area for me. And when you asked me to do this today, the first thing that kind of popped into my head was um, a conversation I had with you guys maybe 15 years ago when I was stuck in the middle of little kids and, and all that and had, you know, not a time even to go to the bathroom kind of thing. And you asked me kind of that similar question. And I you know, how's your devotional life, and it's like, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's hard, and I'm not really doing anything, and instead of saying, oh, yeah, that's okay, you said, no, that's not okay, you know, and really, you know, usually you're so encouraging, but you kind of said, hey, that's not, you know, and just really brought to my attention that, yeah, this this is not something that you can expect your life to go well with God if you aren't ever talking to God, and, you know. It's not something that, you know, I've had a good example of this. My dad is one of those people who, no matter where he is, what he's doing, gets up first thing in the morning, spends his time with God, you know, enough that my kids know that that's, you know, if they want to go see grandpa, they can get up early, wait for him to finish, and spend time with him. So I've had really good examples. But just that regularity is very hard for me.
0: And, you know, Susan, you bring up a good point. I mean, there are seasons in life, and when you have little kids, what do you do? It's not like they, you guys just hang out for 40 minutes, and I'll, I mean, what do you do?
2: Yeah, I mean, you use what little time you do have. You know, nap time was like what I looked forward to all day when they were little. (laughs) And, you know, trying to coordinate that so I could have have a little time to myself. Yeah. Um, or you get other people to help you and, I'll, you know, have, you know, and watch them and, you know, I, it's still a little foggy what we did at that point. but
0: <laughs> Literally, what do you do when you're in So now, yeah.
2: and what I'm doing is get up a little earlier, and I'm not a morning person, so that's not really fun, but I found that that's what I need to do. Get myself, you know, somewhat ready and then go on my comfortable couch and I've been doing the devotional. I've been doing the New Testament um, and reading through that. And, you know, I'm not, regularity is the hard part for me, so I'm not always regular. I'm very easy still to kind of give up on that, but I do it. And then the other part that I was realizing that is very important to my devotional is when I'm driving to work, I have about a half an hour drive, I'm always listening to Christian music, and I spend that as a time to, like, listen to the words and think about you know, my life, and is that really meshing with what I'm hearing?
0: I don't even know if you have an answer for this, Susan, but when you go through periods where you're slack, or you cave and, and it just, the regularity disappears, how do you get yourself back, or what gets you back? Or, or?
2: I think maybe somewhat remembering when it has been good and trying to get myself that, or hearing other people's stories and seeing other people's examples and just kind of using that as a, as a tool to, to get myself there. You know, and I think I also found that having some special times, you know, if I'm really struggling with the regularity, then maybe I need to set aside some time. Or, like, tomorrow I'm going to try to set aside some time because I have things, a decision that I'm praying about. And I'm not very good at just sitting and doing it, but I may go for a drive because that helps just enough, keeps my mind... So I don't just go way off, but that I can spend, you know, still have some time to spend time with God.
3: Okay. Diane, how does it work for you? Just devotionally, what do I do? Yeah. I'm not a morning person either, (laughs) but I set my alarm a little bit earlier, get ready for work. And then um, I do mine at the kitchen table, but I do it with my back to the kitchen, literally, because I'm so distracted. If there's a glass on the counter... You know, I'm thinking I better go put that in the dishway. You know, I'm just too distracted. So I actually sit with my back to the kitchen and look out the window. That's just a practical thing I do and try to do my quiet time there. And also, somebody told me this years ago, and I thought this was good. It's that God pursues us. And so I think of it as one of the chairs at the table. He's there with me. And it's kind of a weird thing if you don't do it and you run out the door. It's kind of like he's sitting there and you left him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of a weird thing. But that God of the universe wants to spend time with you is a pretty incredible thing. So I so kind of what are the,
0: over the course of our lives what are the circumstances that what kinds of things happen that get you off, that get you out of the routine where you're, you're not doing this for a while? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things mm-hmm. precipitate that?
3: Well one of the things is if I don't have something to do a regular thing like It helps me to have a devotional book of some type to go through or I make a determination I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible. And so I'll read it and then the next day I read it again and then I read it again. I'll do something like that. But if I don't have something to really to go to, like our New Testament that we're doing now is really nice because it's a daily practice for me.
0: I promise I didn't know that she was going to say this, but (laughs) game plan. I mean, it's very very helpful to know what you're going to do. Because, you know, let's be honest. This isn't the let's be honest part, but I love the Bible. I love Bible study. But all parts of the Bible, I'm sorry, Jesus, for us emotionally, emotionally, just all parts of the Bible don't seem to be created equal. So if you wake up in the morning and you go and you read Mahoshafat Beget, so Shafat. You're like, who cares? That doesn't rock your world. And you need a game plan to never let your zeal be lacking. I interrupted you. Were you going to say something else profound?
2: Uh, I know for me, my game plan needs to have not very many steps. Or I'm going like, to get overwhelmed, overwhelmed and just give up. Yep. And so that's something that I've realized. I need to have it pretty simple and all set out. The other thing that helps me is other times that I've had successful Quiet times is when I'm preparing for, like, leading a Bible study. So that if I don't do my work, it's going to be pretty obvious that I'm not going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. So setting it up to, you know, prepare for something else, and Com- that helps. Completely
0: too. random question, but I'm, you used a phrase there that I've heard many, many times, Susan. You used the phrase quiet times. So that's a, that's a phrase in certain Christian circles. They call this devotional time a quiet time. Why do you suppose, mm-hmm. where does that come from and Why? I mean, it may be obvious, but let's state the obvious, somebody.
2: Because I guess it's just me and God. I try to just get away distractions Mm -hmm. from that, kind of quiet my soul and just...
3: A time for him to speak, for you to listen. Yeah. Be quiet and just listen.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Let's give Susan and Diane a hand. Personal devotional life results in belief and hope that transcends circumstances. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. Personal devotion requires active commitment. And personal devotion, number four, you've all got it. It's on the tip of your tongue's requires spiritual practices. We're not going to be the people we want to be. Our lives are not going to go deeper and wider if we don't have a personal devotional life and a game plan for that personal devotional life. So Father, we thank you so much that you've spoken and I pray that you would help us to listen and that you would seal in our hearts what you've said. We're in, and we need you. Every hour, we need you. And this morning, we are sorry for those many, many hours that we are running so fast. We are thinking and feeling and acting as if we're on our own, and our best intentions and our best plans often end up in disaster. So, when that starts to happen to us on Thursday, I want you to remember that this morning we said every hour we need you, and that we're in, in Jesus' name. We're gonna sing this song one time through before we go. Would you stand with us? The sin runs deep.
3: Your grace is. Is found is where you are, where you are Lord I am free Holiness
2: is Christ where you are.